0: Us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And because God caused that to happen, we have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading. This truth that God's power will keep us and guard our faith brings rejoicing in the heart of the believer. Even in Christians that are facing great persecution, such as the Christians that Peter was addressing this letter to. As you'll recall, these Christians were under vicious attack throughout the Roman Empire because of the Emperor Nero, who had blamed them, made them scapegoats for the burning of Rome. But those severe trials serve the supreme purpose of proving the genuineness of their faith. And that faith is rewarded. In the salvation of their souls. This salvation was written about. By the prophets who longed to know. When would the Christ come. And Peter says. This grace has come to you. The good news was preached to you. So he's been building up. The preciousness of their salvation. The certainty of their salvation. The reward of their salvation. And though I'm emphasizing that the Christians that Peter was writing to, these same truths apply to us. You, my brothers, have been born again to a living hope. You have had the good news preached to you and by grace have received the gift of faith that leads to salvation. And now you have an inheritance that's imperishable undefiled, unfading that awaits for you. So now what should our reaction be to that truth? Well, Let's pick up now in verse 13. Reading verses 13 through 21. Therefore preparing your minds for action and being sober minded set your hope fully but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Well, I have two main points that I want to explore this evening. Number one is prepare to live as you have been called. Prepare to To live as you have been called. Verses 13 through 17. And point number two. The unshakable reason to live a holy life. The unshakable reason to live a holy life. Verses 18 to 21. Well looking at verse 13. Peter transitions from encouragements in the faith to exhortation. Because of the truth about your salvation... Therefore, this is how you should respond. He writes, preparing your minds for action. And that word preparing, it's used here to, to mean to gird, to bind, as to prepare for action. If you've if you got a King James Version, it, it may say, gird up the loins of your mind. Kind of a strange thing to say. But it's a figure of speech in reference to how they wore their clothes at that time. They typically wore a long, loose outer garment over their inner garment. And so when they needed to move quickly, they would take a belt and pull up that outer garment, bind it around their waist so that it would not hinder them, not trip them up. So they were ready to go, ready for action. So Peter's applying that image figuratively to the mind. He's urging them to be mentally prepared for action. He's saying, pull in all those loose thoughts. Get a singular focus and a firm understanding on how to live out your faith in Christ. Well, what are some of those loose thoughts that we might have about the Christian life that we need to bind up with truth? Well, very simply how we address that, it's it's thinking biblically. It's thinking biblically, because our minds can be all over the place. All kinds of ideas and perspectives, but what grounds it is Scripture. You might say, well, I already do that. I think biblically. I look to the Scripture. But I want to challenge you to really assess the pattern of your life. Look at all the things All those things that drive what you do on a daily basis. And ask this question. Did I make a decision to do this activity or this occupation? You can just kind of fill in the blank. Whatever it is. Based on the instruction of God's Word? Or did I just do what I desired without looking to God's Word for instruction? Friends, we always do what our hearts desire. The problem with that is that we don't always desire righteousness. I know in my own life, I've made far too many decisions without looking to the Scripture. And we, we reap the poor decisions like that. The struggles of this life. Just as we should test any teaching of God's Word by His Word, so also we should test life decisions by the principles and the absolute truth of God's Word and obey what it says. Psalm 119, 105 says, Your Word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. Well, Peter goes on, he he uses this conjunctive word and, he says, and, he said, prepare your minds for action and being sober-minded, which means to be self-controlled. Don't react to all this stuff going on just out of control, out of control emotions. So how do we as believers have self-control? We have to yield to the spirit that's within us. Because the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. So you do this in two ways. You pray. You simply pray and ask the Spirit of God to control you. You yield yourself to the Spirit. yield your desire so that you're led by the Spirit. And secondly, it's putting the Word of God in your heart. Fill your mind with the Word of God. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So now that you've prepared your mind and yielded to the control of the Holy Spirit, he says, Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now this word hope that he used here has a, has a meaning of an attitude of confidently looking forward to what is good and beneficial, an attitude of confidently looking forward to what is good and beneficial. What do you hope in? Think about this. How many times have you said or thought in the last week, "I hope for this," or "I hope this happens." We can hope our favorite team wins the game. Sorry, volunteer and Razorback fans. We can hope the hard work we put in our job will, will result in a promotion. We can hope the study and preparation in a school subject results in a good test score. And those aren't bad things to hope for. But the problem is none of them come with an assurance. The exhortation here is to hope, above all hope, In that which is certain and sure. And what does he say? The grace that will come to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is certain. It is certain if you are in Christ. When will Christ be revealed? At his second coming. And look at what the Christian will receive. It is grace he will receive. But in contrast, the non-Christian receives judgment. So our hope is to be fixed fully upon that which is sure. That's why Peter was laying that groundwork in verses 3-12 through about the certainty of your salvation. You have an inheritance that awaits you that is imperishable. It is undefiled. It is unfading. Therefore, because of that, fix your hope that attitude of confidently looking forward to that which is good, fix it fully on this sure grace of your salvation in Christ Jesus. And then we see in verse 14 another exhortation. He says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. This is the only negative instruction. He says, do not do this. He says, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Peter is urging believers to not be conformed, which means shaped or molded, that pressure to do something by the sinful desires that characterize your life before coming to the knowledge of the gospel. The pattern of your life should not be shaped by the former pattern that was a slave to sin. That's all you could do. And you were not aware, you were ignorant of the freedom that sin from sin that comes through salvation by faith in Christ. The Apostle Paul also used this word, ignorance, in describing the pattern of life before Christ. In Ephesians four, seventeen and eighteen, he says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. But the gospel brings light and knowledge of the truth. He goes on in Ephesians 5.8 to say, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Well, Christians are children of God uh, Blake you referenced it this morning John 1 12. it tells us but to all who did receive him who believed in his name he gave the right to become children of God in verse 14 here in first Peter begins with as obedient children an obedient child trusts that what the father is asking them to do is for their good And we even learned in the sermon this morning from Mark 10 about the childlike faith needed to enter into the kingdom of God. It's that unquestioning trust of a child to their father. A child looks to a father for protection and provision. And when a child obeys a father's command, it means there's a full trust that what is being asked is for their good. How much more then... Is that true with our Heavenly Father? Who only does good for His children. So the exhortation is to have that kind of pure trust in the commands of your Heavenly Father and to obey those commands rather than those sinful desires of your former life. Obedience is the outward manifestation of a desire of the heart to conform to a standard or command that comes from an authority over you. It's the outward manifestation of what's in your heart. So as Christians, it should be the ever-increasing desire of our hearts to obey our Father. And we should take on the characteristics of our Father who is holy. Look at verses 15 and 16. He says, But as He who called you is holy... You also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. Holy means sacred, pure. Because God your Father is holy, He's absolutely pure, you also be holy, like Him. And Peter adds more proof for this exhortation by quoting Scripture. The Word says in Leviticus 11, For I am the Lord your God, consecrate yourselves therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. Now notice he didn't say, only be holy when you're gathered as the church. Or, only be holy when you're reading your Bible. He said, be holy in all your conduct. That word conduct, your way of life, doing life. That means we need to carefully examine the pattern of our lives and test it by this standard of holiness, purity. Am I conforming, being shaped by the world, or am I living holy, sacred and pure, set apart from the patterns of ungodliness in this world? Examine all the areas of your life, work, home, social media, Is your way of life consistent in all areas, and is it marked by holiness? I think we all would find that we've got growth in that area. So call upon the grace of God to purify those areas of your life that may have been stained by some patterns of this world. May Titus 2:11 through 14 be an encouragement to all of us in pursuing holiness. It reads, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous for good works. So, Peter so far has exhorted us to pull in our loose thinking by thinking biblically. And to yield to the Holy Spirit so that we bear the fruit of self-control. And then obey the commands of our Father and not the ungodly desires of our heart before the grace of salvation. And then he says to become like our Father in living holy, pure lives. Now look with me in verse 17 at another action characteristic of a true Christian. And if you call on Him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. You could read that, Since you call upon Him as Father, He is the one you are to image by a way of life that is holy. And by the way, He judges impartially. He doesn't show favoritism toward His children. He judges everyone perfectly according to your deeds. And your actions will bear testimony to what is true of your heart. So because of that, conduct yourselves, your way of life, with fear. Now what does he mean by that word fear? Well, we know that the scripture tells us to fear the Lord. Proverbs 1-7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The word means to have a reverence, respect. We're to have a reverence for the power of God. He sees all and he knows all. Nothing is hidden from him. Psalm 139.4 says, Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. God knows your thoughts before you do. So submit to this authority and power out of respect. But there's another aspect of this word fear that we also need to see. The word also carries the meaning of astonishment or amazement. Let me give you an example from scripture that helps frame that that context of that word. The account in Mark 4 of Jesus calming the stormy wind-driven sea gives a sense of this word fear at the astonishing power of God. And he, Jesus, awoke And rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, the disciples, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? may we ask that very same question. Who then is this great and awesome and holy God that will grant us life? That's what Peter's exhorting us to do so that our lives are conducted in holiness, in astonishment at His grace. This leads us to point number two, the unshakable reason to live a holy life. Read with me in verses 18 through 21. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in these last times for the sake of you who through Him are believers in God, who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. The unshakable reason to live a holy life is knowing, to come to understand that you have been ransomed from a bondage to sin that no tradition Or religious practice could ever accomplish. The burden of trying to be a law keeper is futile. You can't do it. All of us are law breakers. And the scripture says lawlessness is sin. And the payment for sin is death. And without the shedding of blood there is no remission for sins. But praise be to God, the precious blood of Jesus has paid the ransom for our desperate souls. He is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He lived the perfect, righteous life that we can't live. And then willingly laid down His life in perfect obedience to the will of the Father. And that was the plan established before He spoke the world into being. And He was manifest at the perfect time for our sake. He left the glory of heaven, took on flesh as we are, and humbled Himself unto death, even death on a cross. He did this for the sake of you, and you, and you, and you, all of us who have been saved by His grace. This is the unshakable reason, dear brothers and sisters, to live a holy life. As Paul said in Romans 12:1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Knowing, this coming to an understanding of this, what the blood of Christ has accomplished for the sake of you and me, it's only logical, it's only reasonable then our reaction be, should be to present ourselves to God as an act of worship. So knowing this, prepare your minds for action by thinking biblically. Knowing this, be sober-minded, self-controlled, yield to the Holy Spirit. Knowing this set your hope fully on the grace that will be revealed to you at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Knowing this, with pure, childlike trust, obey your Father's commands. Knowing this, desire to please Him rather than those sinful desires of your past. Knowing this, Make the pattern of your life holy and pure because your heavenly Father is holy and pure. Knowing this, conduct your lives out of a holy fear and reverence and astonishment in His power and His glory and His grace toward you. And do all this because your salvation is sure because of the precious blood of Christ. You have an inheritance that awaits you through the precious blood of Christ. It's imperishable, undefiled, unfading. All glory be to Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father, You are holy, holy, holy. And we praise you that by your grace, you've adopted us as your children and called us to be holy as you are. So, Father, we praise you for the precious blood of Christ that set us free. We once were slaves to sin, but now we are slaves to righteousness through Christ. We praise you for such mercy. And, Father, we pray that we could live according to your scripture. That we would prepare our minds for action. That we would think biblically. That we would be sober minded. By yielding to the control of the Holy Spirit within us. That we would obey your commands out of the desires of our heart. That are for righteousness and not for the sin that once marked our lives. And Father that we would set our hope fully. Upon the grace that awaits us. At the revelation of Jesus Christ. And Father, that we would live our lives, we would conduct ourselves in a way that's continually amazed by your power and your grace toward us. Father, cause us to live pure and holy lives so that you are glorified. And cause us to remember continually the precious blood of Jesus Christ that has set us free. We thank you, Father, for the opportunity to gather here as your church family and come before the supper table tonight in memory to memorialize what Christ has done for us, the new covenant established in the blood of Christ. For this we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.